Are you a teacher or student who's always wanted to learn more about CubeSats in the classroom? Then don't miss this opportunity. The inaugural SmallSat Education Conference will serve as an important East Coast gathering where educators, administrators, and students will learn about CubeSats, ThinSats, and high-altitude balloon programs. Our target audiences are faculty and students from middle school all the way through college. Presenters will include existing university teams and industry experts. Attendance is free for students and educators, and exhibitors and vendors are encouraged to showcase their products and services. To learn how to start your own program, join us on October 29th and 30th at the Center for Space Education Building at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center. Please visit the website for more information and to reserve a space. You can find that at smallsateducation.org. That's S-M-A-L-L-S-A-T education.org. Let's go to Space Blue Sky Learning, Episode 83, A German View of Space. Today, we meet with 19-year-old Lilu Schindelhauer. As a German student, Lilu attended a STEM-based high school where she participated in many extracurriculars, including math club. She currently pursues aerospace engineering studies at Technical University at Munich, but her love of space became evident about four years ago as she participated in student internships at DLR, the German Space Agency, and even attended space camp. Lilu has participated in the European Space Design Competition and the International Space Design Competition, where she also serves as a volunteer. Recently, she attended Space Rush, a conference at Kennedy Space Center, where Kevin and I were privileged to meet her. We are very excited to talk with her today, and as always, we hope that you will stay tuned after for our takeaways. Lilu Schindelhauer, thank you so much for joining us today all the way from Germany, is that right? Yeah, um, I'm in the south of Germany. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> Fantastic. We, I want, uh, I know that we kind of told everybody a little bit about who you are already, but please share with our listeners what it is that's drawn you to space. Like, how did you get involved and why do you love it? I, I think I've always been fascinated with, with STEM, but there have been a lot of people uh, in, in my surroundings that just encouraged me to follow my passions. And I, I think the first time I, I really knew that space was the thing for me was, uh, I went with my parents to Kennedy Space Center when I was really, really small and just the rockets and the exhibits and everything was so awesome. And uh, from then it was space, space, space. <laughs> right. So tell us a little bit about then. So you get inspired as a young child here in the States at Kennedy Space Center, but you did your schooling back in Germany. So yeah. what were some of the areas of focus? Like we, we kind of see STEM education here, but what is it like going to a STEM kind of focused school in Germany? I think it's it's really different. Uh, for example, uh, everyone in Germany has to take math on, uh, every year uh, in high school until the last year. And you actually have to ha uh, do an exam at the end of your school in, in math. And I got the opportunity to take a lot of extra courses. So I had an astronomy course uh, in my 11th grade. Uh, I think that would be junior year. Uh, so it, it was really interesting because um, we, we had a lot of robotics uh, in, in my, my class. We had a bit of more math uh, because it was a STEM math-based uh, class that I was went into. 
Um, and we we had a lot of physics. Um, and then when I when I got into junior year, I basically chose to have a, a specific focus on math and physics. But I also took like uh, an informatics class. So I, I basically got to choose a lot of my curriculum, which isn't really that uh, common before uh, junior year. And yeah. So you were able to kind of <clears throat> dabble and kind of go into different areas that might not have been exposed to otherwise that kind of opened up some possibilities for you, it sounds like. Definitely. Um, I, I do think that uh, my, even, even though I had this focus on STEM, uh, I also took some courses that might not be related to STEM. I, I had uh, two years of geography, for example, <laughs> but uh, still uh, I, I did have the focus on STEM. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question. With respect to your career path, are, um, are there lots of German students in the lane that you are? Uh, is there a strong STEM focus in Germany or are there equal numbers of, let's say, liberal arts students and whatnot? I, I guess I'm curious about how important is STEM in the German education system? Uh, we're trying to you know, get more students and more diverse students in our pipeline here, but how, how would you describe the German education system and their emphasis on STEM? I, I do think that it's quite quite equal. Um, I, I think there's a focus on, on German engineering. Uh, I mean, it's quite well known all around the world. Yes. So there are special universities uh, that mainly focus on STEM. Uh, and then there are others that have a bigger focus on, on the liberal arts uh, and uh, things like that. Uh, so I, I do think that they managed to uh, get quite a lot of people interested in STEM. And there, there are other opportunities. For example, there's uh, a day once a year where uh, especially girls can go into male dominated fields and have like an internship day, uh, which is really interesting uh, to see how your future career might look like, even if uh, everyone you see that has the job currently is, is a man. And right. are, are there um, in the US for a long time? Well, in the, let's say the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, almost all men, right? Uh, but in the last, let's say, 30, 40 years, that trend is changing, you know, more uh, women, more people of color. Uh, are there still areas of your um, industries and society that are really heavily male-dominated? Is that still the case, or are you seeing a similar pattern as we are in the U.S.? I mean, it's getting better, um, especially in the in the STEM-focused uh, fields. What you do see is that social uh, careers are typically done by women. So we, we do have a lot more uh, female teachers uh, and uh, nurses, but it is getting better. And right now in, in, my, um, in my course at university, I think we have about uh, 30 to 40% uh, women. So it's Good. still uh, more, more, more men, but uh, we're getting there. Right. I, I would say that one field of STEM that has a really uh, the, probably the more robust number of females would be in like the life sciences, um, biological research, medical research, uh, biomedical engineering. Uh, do you see a similar trend in Germany? Uh, yeah, yes, you do. But uh, I do think that also uh, women are encouraged to uh, go into all kinds of uh, STEM fields. Uh, in, in, my, in, in the physics course that I took, which has a like really specific, only people who are already thinking about going into STEM careers take that course. 
uh, we, we had five out of 12 uh, women. So um, it, we, we're getting there, but I also have experienced that when I was in elementary school and I told everyone I like math and they looked at me like I'm an alien and were like, wait, a girl who likes girl? math? <laughs> right. Uh-huh. I know. I, I experienced kind of like that myself, but it's bizarre. Obviously, at least two, you know, generations prior with school than, than you are. But at least we're making some progress there. I want to talk a little bit about your um, your your interaction in some of the competitions and the conferences that you mentioned. So I know you are at university now, but between the time that you're in high school and you knew what you wanted to be and you're off to, to university, um, you, you participated in a couple of different competitions. So share with us about what those were and how that kind of reinforced that love of space for you. Okay, so uh, in, in my last year of high school, uh, I participated in the European Space Settlement Design Competition. Uh, and I qualified for the internationals. And so uh, when I was already finished with school, but not yet in university, uh, I went there um, and I managed to get there in person, even though uh, there was still a travel ban. <laughs> um, that sounds like a story I'm gonna have to hear at some point, but. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> and, and, and so um, they, basically I, I went there and in, in this uh, package that they had for, um, for, to prepare us to go there, uh, they wrote, well, there's going to be a conf space conference uh, right before you, uh, you have your competition. And there's going to be like, you want to watch a rocket launch and you're going to uh, have a guided tour by a space shuttle engineer through the Kennedy Space Center. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I also went to the first time that Space Rush happened. Uh, and that's right. That's uh, where we met you, as a matter of fact, was at yeah. the Space Rush Conference. With your, with, I want to go back to your design competition for a second. So we, we've done a few space settlement competitions here as well, but I'm interested in finding out, like, what did you specialize in an area of that settlement, like something that you were focusing on particularly? You worked in a larger group. How did your, the, that competition work as far as, um, you know, was it a team aspect and then the individual parts? Um, I mean... Uh, it's it's structured quite similar to the space uh, settlement competitions in the U.S. because it's a qualifier for for the internationals. Uh, so I was the head of the structural department, and um, I, I did have a, a little bit of a focus. Uh, I did some of the radiation protection for the um, settlement, which was really interesting because we were on Europa, uh, where there is a lot of radiation and the settlement was underneath ice. So we were calculating how much ice we need between the settlement and the surface to keep us safe. And um, it, it, is, it was really interesting because my, my company lost uh, the election, but um, I, I got elect, uh, elected by my teammates to be the one person representing our company that lost to the internationals. So uh, I'm, I'm really honored that they gave me that opportun yeah. opportunity. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to uh, pivot slightly. Uh, three questions, well, two questions, and you may answer them as you see fit. But what right now is the the one subject area that most inspires you that you're, you really, if you say, if I could do this for a living, this is the exact area of STEM that I'd like to be in. And then uh, the follow-up question is, could you describe your ideal job when you do graduate? What, what is that ideal perfect job you'd like to have? I, I mean, in, in the broader area of STEM, uh, my, my field is definitely aerospace, uh, I, I, especially the space part. <laughs> um, and I mean, the ideal job when I gradu would graduate uh, is be becoming an astronaut, but uh, I know that's hard. <laughs> right, 
What, what, um, within, what within space, though, is the very specific, uh, you, you mentioned you were a, a structures team lead, right? Is it the uh, design, fabrication, manufacturing of space structures? Are you more about ECLIS or propulsion or guidance? Uh, can you narrow it down even more for us? I, I do think that uh, structures and especially settlements uh, interest okay. me because, um, I, I mean, I, I did an internship at the DLR um, when I was in school and uh, they, they were, um, I, I was in the area that was focusing on like space exploration. So they had more to do with like probes getting out there into space. And I do also find that really interesting because uh, space exploration is fascinating. Oh, I know. The VDLR is there's the space agency there in Germany. Yes, it's, right. it's yeah. the um, uh, German space agency. Right. I, I just read recently that ESA is trading, uh, I want to say, six um, of the uh, components that they make for the SLS rocket. Um, I want to say it's like the service module and exchange for three seats on Artemis, right? So uh, <laughs> And the hope is, and I know the, the Europeans are hoping that one of those seats will be taking them down to the surface of the moon. So a European will be able to walk on the moon, but I don't think NASA promised them a ride down to the surface, but I know there's this really nice relationship right now between ESA, of which uh, the German Space Agency is a member uh, with uh, NASA. Are, do uh, do Germans get excited about the potential for returning back to the moon? Oh, oh, definitely. I I think especially in in the community where I'm currently at, because all my friends love space. Uh, they a lot of them are also studying the th same thing that I do. So uh, of course they're getting excited. There's gonna be a, a watch party for the uh, launch tomorrow. Uh, we are all completely hyped um, and. I, I think it would be really awesome to see someone from Europe uh, stepping foot on the moon. Um, I mean, it, it would be even more awesome uh, if I could go there. You were you, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I guess I'm a bit too young. So uh, maybe when, when it comes to uh, stepping foot on Mars. Mars, <laughs> right? I, I, I actually think Mars. you're in the window for Mars, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Maybe when you're um, in your 40s, right? Uh, there's an advantage to sending maybe a little bit older folks because of the radiation damage. And if you're already uh, past the age where you're, you've had your families, right? Uh, I don't want to say they prefer old people, but uh, you, you definitely... <laughs> I don't know. Ray Bradbury wrote you, a lot of stories you, about those on you, Mars. You definitely don't want those uh, young kids with those rapidly dividing cells because the mutations, you know, the, it, you can have more profound mutation effects. So... With the excitement of ESA, I, I was at a dinner recently and we were discussing how Europe is going to pivot because in the past, ESA would work with both, both Russia and the US, but now Russia is sort of on the, you know, the blacklist for partnering with space projects. Are you aware or could you speak to how Europe, uh, how, how the ESA maybe is pivoting or maybe the German Space Agency with the absence of uh, the rockets that the Russians used to provide. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm not in the industry yet, so I don't have any like inside information. But I can just see that at the moment here in Europe, everyone is looking on ways to distance themselves from Russia to get more independent, um, for for very obvious reasons. Um, and this also, of course, affects the space industry because I, I think they're like. Um, uh, restrictions. Uh, you cannot export anything that is related to aerospace to Russia or get things from Russia. 
So I, I think they're kind of forced to pivot, to be right. honest. And do, you, do you have a launch site yet? I know that you know the Europeans launched from South America, but is there any talk of having a more local launch site? You know, for instance, the Brits and the Scots, uh, the UK, they're looking to put in launch facilities. How about the Germans? Would you? Wouldn't it be great if you had your own launch site? Uh, it's it's actually quite funny because uh, for my final exams, I, I wrote a short paper uh, on the possibilities of having a launch site in, in Germany. Um, and there, there were talks uh, and the um, politicians at the time, I think it was in 2018, 2019, uh, they were really enthusiastic and saying, yeah, we're going to have a micro launcher site in, uh, in Germany. And there are two sites uh, in the northern part of Germany where you could have a horizontal takeoff with a plane. And then when you're over the uh, Atlantic or the Baltic Sea, you could then launch a rocket from there. Um, and they were really enthusiastic and it looked like everything would go super well. Uh, and then COVID hit and the politicians right. had other priorities. So right. um, it kind of stopped being talked about so much. And especially because at the moment we don't have the laws that would kind of give the framework on what is allowed and how you could launch something like that. Right. So um the, the place, the um, locations are really good and they could be used not for vertical takeoff because we're quite uh, densely populated here in yes. Europe and uh, that would pose risk. Uh, but for the horizontal takeoff, that those places would work. And there was a study done by ESA and DLR, I think, uh, that also said, well, those places would be okay. But uh, in the end, it's because of the laws that are not there yet. So are they are they going to push it back? I mean, is, is the thing the laws aren't there yet? I mean, is there still that movement like it could still happen, or is it just something that's on hold? Or I I, I have no idea. They were talking a lot about it, and then it kind of got forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, they were talking about having the legislation in proce process, but uh, then there was an election, and well, right, right. that always messes it up. Right, things change. Uh, I I think this is probably the result of something some laws that were written at the end of World War II, right? Uh, um, often, I know with Japan, for instance, they were so aggressive, you know, when we had the war, that after the war, we helped them create this constitution and laws that says you can have only a self-defense kind of military. And I know that Japan had to work for a number of years to get to the point where they had their orbital space program, right? But they have the advantage that you don't of having the large Pacific Ocean to uh, let their uh, failed rocket launches fall on and not hurt anyone. Uh, did you look at orbital inclinations with your uh, launch site profile, the report that you did? I, I did not. Uh, it was more uh, geography based and looking okay. at like the immediate uh, surroundings. Um, and actually the, la the laws holding it back are kind of uh, environmental laws because oh. it's not specified what kind of tests you have to do before you get qualified for building a launch site because it hasn't been so, done before. So you don't have um, a pathway for setting up right. the launch site. Yes. You don't have a, a legislative it. pathway. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And, and also in addition to that, it's not really clear what would happen in the case of an accident and things like right. that. So th that's kind of holding it back right now. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go back now. You're in your first. You're in your first year or second year? Uh, uh, I'm now. I'm now just finishing my first year. So finishing uh, up in, in aerospace engineering, right? Yes. 
So um, we have, you know, we've talked to a few other aerospace engineering students before, but I, we're always, we have students who listen in who are thinking that this might be a possible career choice for them, right? What can a typical first year student, and I know that there may be some differences between here and there, but what can a first year aerospace engineering student expect to see? Uh, lots of work. <laughs> so um, basically, at least in Germany and at my university, um, it's kind of set in stone which courses you have to take. Um, especially because we don't have this kind of orientation year that a lot of the um, uh, colleges in, in the US have, where you have a lot of like humanities and more general subjects, because we do that already in school. So um, basically, our first year was we had uh, university math, we had um, mechanics, we had um, uh, we, we had electrical engineering, materials engineering, uh, we had uh, computational foundations where we learned, learned a lot about like programming and coding. So they kind of gave us all the basics. And then one of my, my favorite courses was Introduction to Aerospace, uh, where uh, in the 14 lectures that we had, every time there was a different professor uh, telling us basically on a very basic level what we could expect working in industry. So uh, they, they were talking about their specialities. So one of our professors was talking about drones and how they can uh, and the kind of drones that he develops. And another one was talking about propulsion. And we had one that was talking about the future of aviation and like how we can make it green. And it, it was re really interesting. Not a lot of like very deep learning, but just to have this overview of what the future might bring. It was a fantastic survey from aviation to deep space exploration, right? Yeah, I, I mean, we didn't do a lot of like deep space exploration uh, and we didn't talk a lot of, about satellites because now at the start of the second year, we're going to have introduction to geodesy. So I think we're going to have a bit more of like satellites watching Earth uh, then. But uh, we, we, we had some rockets and uh, fortunately one of our professors uh, was an astronaut, so he could tell us a bit about uh, his flights to space, how he became an astronaut. And does, uh, does this professor have like a rock star status among the faculty and students? Is he esteemed a little higher? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because there are so I, few German astronauts, right? Uh, I, I think they're actually like 11 or so. So it's... It's, it's great. I'm, I mean, yes, they are quite, uh, they're not a lot, not not as many as the U.S. has. <laughs> well, but, I mean, I'm sure that that was, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into a political discussion, but I'm thinking that was probably designed that way. No, well, we'll keep it all together. No, it was, the US. Uh, well, the U.S., you know, right. when they were building the space station, they literally, you know, plussed up the astronaut corps to like 150 or more because they needed so many missions, right, to build the ISS. And, uh, yeah, if you have the launch capacity, right? If you had a rocket, you'd be able to send all the German, you know, astronauts up you wanted. But yeah, it's it's a it was just who had the launch the capa the uh, capacity and the money, right? What what do you see from your seat as a college student? What do you see and what do you think about the future of space, the future of human exploration? And this is a, a an opinion question. What do you think? And uh, based on you know where where you've been in class and what you've been taught, um, I'm I'm really excited for the the next 10, 20, uh, 50 years, uh, because I think we're entering a time where it's getting really really exciting. Um, 
And then on the other hand, uh, I, I think if you if you look uh, in, in Europe, uh, you will find a lot more critical opinions uh, of the commerci uh, commercialization <laughs> of, yeah. of space. Um, because um, especially from like the, the European perspective, uh, I think we might want to have a bit more regulation at some points because we, we fear that uh, with a lot of space debris, uh, we, we might uh, shoot ourselves in the foot. <laughs> Um, so I, I do think that we're entering really exciting times and I can't wait to see where it's going. And especially when you look at what, what is happening uh, in the classes and what the professors are telling us, I, I think people my age and like the, the years above and like the, the people who are in, in high school now, we're the prime target for um, participating in, in this uh, uh, awesome um time period and uh i think we're really lucky that we were born at the time that we were born. i yeah. so agree it's a good uh my final question to you is this um are your classes like your aerospace classes are they taught to you in german or in english uh the, the classes are taught in english um the my, my university is really looking to uh, get more international people i think uh in my year we have people from 41 different countries wow. um and they're they're trying what they're trying to say to us is, well, the aerospace industry, it's a global industry. And right. if you want to participate, you're going to have to speak in English. And well, if you learn all the terminology in German and you don't have to relearn it on the job again, uh, you're wasting a lot of time. I, so. uh, yeah, I just want to congratulate you on you. you I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So I, I appreciate you. Uh, uh, speaking so well about these topics. Well, and we always close out with, you know, we're keeping in mind our, our listeners. So if, if there are students out there, they're maybe in high school, as we talked about, what advice would you give to someone like yourself coming behind you, whether it's a young woman a in the field? You know, yeah, even younger than you yeah. about sticking in this field. What advice? I, I, I think the biggest advice that I would give you is that if people are mean to you because you like them, um, you will find your people uh you it will get better and um just pursue your goal because uh in the end you can reach the stars and that's so amazing that i i do think that nobody should take that from you by uh not understanding how awesome that is yes <laughs> well thank you so much for spending some time with us today we really appreciate it we're so glad that we got to meet you at space rush and we look forward to to working with you and, and watching you as you continue to reach your goals and dreams Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're, you're welcome. And, and down the road, a couple of years, we want to follow up with you to learn about what great projects you're working yeah. on. And uh, yes, and I agree with my colleague. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed meeting Lilu at Space Rush and I was so impressed. I mean, for someone who's 19, she just comes across as someone who's been in the field for a really long time. So it was really refreshing to kind of um, get her perspectives today. And I, and I know that she probably seemed that way to you, right? So far advanced from where she is. I, I would say she is, uh, has a calmness and she's focused on her end goal. She spoke uh, along those lines and if you think about it, her preparation to be in the aerospace field is is really solid. I have no doubt she's going to be a 
highly successful aerospace professional. And I love what she said about, you know, how well prepared they are. She kind of made an interesting contrast between the U.S. and Germany and the idea that we still focus a lot on those kind of um, learn what you like your first few years of college, whereas they kind of handle that earlier in high school and that they're they're launching right into their career. Well, I, I yes, I, I got the impression that the prerequisites, right, yeah. uh, for a general university degree mm-hmm. were already done before she showed up right. to her freshman year. So, so you're launching in. It sounded like she basically was taking core classes. And even her cupcake class she described was two years of geography, which is lines up pretty nicely with yeah. remote sensing and, and, and satellites. Well, and I also liked how she had, uh, had definitely noticed that the same similar trends that we see here with the underrepresented population. So it's good to know that there are changes happening everywhere, but still rather small and slow in comparison um, and making helping women to catch up. So I'd imagine that the underrepresented population is there as well. I, I would like to encourage our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about um, Lilu and her potential engineering teams, um, you should come to our small set education conference. It's going to be on October 29th and 30th at the Center for Space Education building on the northwest corner of the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center uh, here in uh, on the Space Coast of Florida. If you are an educator or you are a student, middle school age and up all the way through the university, uh, attendance is free for you. If you are a parent accompanying your child, it's only $25. Uh, we do have an, and $50 for other adults. If you are a company or a university, uh, we welcome you to exhibit. We have great rates. We want to fill up the CSE building with uh, ThinSat, CubeSat, high altitude balloon enthusiasts. Our schedule is, uh, our agenda is locked down. Please go to our website. Uh, we do have some more universities that are asking to present. So we're going to make some room for some more great uh, CubeSat teams to share out. Um, the whole goal of our conference is to provide a reasonably priced opportunity on the East Coast of the U.S. for um, educators to learn more and students about how they can start their own balloon and satellite programs. Okay. Well, we appreciate your time and listening and supporting this podcast. And of course, as always, we hope you'll join us next week when we say, let's, let's go, go to space. space.